Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I am the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I know, I know you guys were waiting for Jimmy to come back, and he finally did. He came back, and then he left again. But it'll be a short time. He's just going to be gone for a little bit, and then he'll be back, no problem. But uh, you all are liking the interviews that we're doing, and so uh, we are doing some more. And today, we're going to be talking to... uh, a friend of mine, a guy that I, I, I'm getting to know. We, uh, we follow each other on social media, and uh, he's, he's the guy that has the name. I just call him Gigi because we're that close. But when Gigi shows up on social media, he strikes frustration into the hearts of some Southern Baptists. Uh, I'm, always, I'm always eager, like, oh, what's he going to say? Because I find myself really benefiting from, encouraged by, and agreeing with so much of what he has to say. But today uh, we have on the podcast, uh, Griffin Gulledge. Griffin, thanks for being on the podcast. We appreciate you, uh, you taking the time out of your schedule to hang with us. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. I uh, I feel like Gigi was a name that like girls in middle school called me. So you're bringing up all the like young angsty trauma for me. Uh, <laughs> At least girls but talk yeah, to you. I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to be in the conversation. Well, if you guys don't know Gigi uh, or, or Griffin, um, he is the pastor of Madison Baptist Church in Georgia. Uh, he's uh, working on his PhD at Southeastern in systematics. Is that right? That's right. I got it. I got it. Good deal. And you did your, uh, your MDiv at Beeson Divinity School. Yeah, that's right. I started at Southern um, and and loved it, um, but I had a, a family crisis. You know, sometimes that happens to people when they're in school. And uh, while I was at Beeson, I was being mentored over the phone by a, a preacher named Robert Smith Jr., who's a preaching professor at Beeson. Uh, you know, I'll show my cards. I think he's the best preacher in the world. Mm. Uh, I think he's that that good. And uh, I was just sort of pouring my heart out to him on the phone uh, about what was going on in my family and. He said, um, well, why don't you come down here? And he said, your family's in Birmingham. You apply, I'll get you in. But I only had two weeks to apply. So I wrote the essay, did the interviews, got the recommendations. It's a little harder to get in there than at some of our Southern Baptist seminaries. I think they're looking mostly for like a, a pulse and a checking account. <laughs> right. And uh, But I got through it and... Uh, and finished up there, and it was an incredible experience to study with with him, with Timothy George, Daryl Bray, Frank Thielman, Paul House, some of the just incredible faculty they have there, and loved it. Paul House uh, was actually at Southern when I was there, and uh, yeah. easily one of my favorite professors. Um, in fact, uh, one of the reasons I like him, not only because he's brilliant, but I like him because he was the only professor at Southern who said something that I wanted him to say to students I always I always find some students are disrespectful and the professors are just too nice about everything. And it drove me nuts. And the one time a professor finally said what I wanted them to say, it was the Old Testament class, lots of people, two jokers are way up in the back, yapping away while the doctor is talking. Like, I'm just like, shut up, man. This is like, I'm, we want to hear this guy. Mm-hmm. So they're up there, pop, 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 talking away. And he finally stops and he just stares up there. And eventually they catch on because there's a vibe in the room now and they realize and they're like, oh, and they oh, look yeah. and they go, oh, sorry. And here's what I remember. He goes, are you done? And they're like, yes, sir. And then he looks at the class and he goes, class, <laughs> this is what I remember. Some people's only purpose in life is to serve and as, a, as an example to the rest of you as to what not to be. 
don't be like that. It was something like that. It was like, you know, ooh. Yeah, brutal. sounds about right. Loved it. So I've been the Joker in the back of the room in his class before. Yeah. And I was in his mentor group for three years while I was there. You meet weekly in a mentor group. It's required or you fail out of school. Mm. Um, and also, I lived with him when I was in seminary. Wow. So we were mentor, mentee, roommates. <laughs> I lived with him and his wife, Heather. And uh, I was I was talking up in the back of a Hebrew four, because at BC, you have to take four Hebrews and four Greeks. And um, I was in exegesis of Isaiah with him, talking to my friend Andrew. And we were, I can't remember what it was, just some side comment. And he said, Griffin, I love you but I will kick you out of this class and out of the school. If you talk again, I love it. And um, I didn't, (laughs) (laughs) but I always appreciated the seriousness with which he took our studies. And he was writing. I apologized afterwards and I learned Hebrew. uh, And, uh, but he was, he was great. And I I started dating my wife during that time. We never went over to the house and she was saying, yeah, I'm growing so much. I've been using this ESV study Bible and uh, he said, yeah, I, I wrote the notes for, <laughs> she said, oh my goodness, I've always wanted to meet the person who wrote my Bible. <laughs> uh, he's such a great guy, godly example, and really just a brilliant, yeah. brilliant. So, so anyway. cool, man. So cool. Yeah. Well, we're, this, all of this is, you know, most of our, our, our listeners at Doctrine and Devotion, um, it's, you know, they're, they're not all um, Calvinists are not all reformed, but predominantly so, uh, mm-hmm. to varying degrees. And uh, we are we promote Reformed Baptist theology, but they, but people know that at, we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Jimmy and I through our church, and um, yeah. I've been a part of an SBC church since '94. Um, I joined an SBC church when I was going to Moody Bible Institute, and um, and found a, a great home in that church. And then that led me to uh, going choosing a, a Southern Baptist seminary. And I've been in ever since. The churches that we've planted uh, have mm-hmm. all been SBC and gone to many of the denominational meetings. Used to be, I used to moderate the meetings locally at the association here, mm-hmm. um, if you can believe that. So like I've, I've been involved to varying degrees and have always been happy to exist in a, a, a church family that is big um, yeah. and broad and uh, and real in that, you know, in any family, you're going to have a, a drunk uncle or, you know, an unstable cousin or a, a super annoying brother. Uh, but but you're, it's your family. You love your family and you've got some great connections and relationships there. Um, how long have you been in the SBC? <laughs> uh, since inception. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, our conception. My my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. Um, my mom and him were were married uh, and and serving Southern Baptist churches uh, since before I was born. And so, you know, I was on the cradle roll uh, at our Southern Baptist church and uh, grew up in in a First Baptist church where my dad was pastor. That's where I was saved. My dad left the ministry um, when I was in middle school um you know actually my story is one of those of like the sort of angry fighting southern baptist church uh mm. and that was the context in which we left ministry but still we're in southern baptist churches it was a southern baptist church who hurt us but it was a southern baptist church who put us back together and uh <clears throat> so i i i grew up there and then um went off to college joined another sbc church first baptist church of opelika 
Uh, I was called to ministry there. That's right outside of Auburn University where I went to college. Was called to ministry there. And I have served in Southern Baptist churches ever since. Um, you know, my first preaching, my first pastor. I mean, it's all all Southern Baptists, you know, kind of turtles all the way down, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty deeply Southern Baptist. Well, that's cool because it, it helps. It, it Maybe it'll help our listeners to understand, you know, that um, why we feel the way that we feel um, mm-hmm. about the the convention the denomination whatever you want to call it um that we're a part of even though i haven't been in it from you know i I basically was converted and then uh four years later joined um joined in so it was it was new to me but i've been with it the longest and so we you know i've been in it long enough to see trouble um and good and you know there's just there's there's a lot right now in the sbc and i i suppose it's always been this way but Right now, it seems like there is a lot of, if I can alliterate, right, angst and anger. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of drama and division. It seems like that there, it seems like there's more of it now, or that it is more pronounced now than it was, say, in the the '90s when I was uh, coming up. I, I saw division there, but boy, it seems to be ratcheted up, and that may just be a consequence of social media pushing it all out there for us all to see. What? What do you think? So, first of all, is there more now in your estimation? And what is pushing it? What are the issues that seem to be creating strife within the convention? Well, the obvious answer seems to be no, that there's not more now when you just look at the the history on the surface level. I mean, you're 1985, you're talking about a convention with 45,000 people. overflow rooms, lawyers, people are booing and hissing at each other from the stage. There are lawsuits coming out of that convention about who has the standing to make certain moves or parliamentary procedure. Um, You know, the Baptist papers were in their heyday and we think social media is bad, but in Baptist papers, they are shredding each other to pieces. Mm -hmm. In fact, I mean, um, you know, Al Mohler really gets his start writing um, in the Christian Index as the editor of the Christian Index and and writing strong conservative pieces. Um, and that was the place to go at the time. Um, I think the division was more pronounced than <clears throat> in that you had these three groups you had or maybe four groups you had you had true fundamentalists. You had conservative evangelicals. You had um, moderates that are more equated with like progressive evangelicals. Now you're maybe your social justice evangelicals who are going to not believe in inerrancy, but maybe they are going to believe in the necessity of personal conversion and bodily resurrection. And they sort of have trajectory hermeneutics and, 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 and aren't focused on a lot of the exclusive claims of evangelicalism. And then you're going to have liberals. I mean, you're going to have full-blown liberals. And so I think the divide then was in some ways significantly more pronounced because you can look at another group and you could say they don't believe in the truthfulness of scripture, or at the very least you could say they tolerate those who don't believe in the truthfulness of scripture. I think what is so hard now is that the division, first of all, it's much more public and viral. It's one thing to have 
back and forth excoriating one another through Baptist papers that have huge subscriptions. But at the end of the day, you've got to write it out on your typewriter, right? <laughs> mail it in, have it edited, publish it, get it on the wire. I mean, this is three or four weeks. There's a new controversy every day. I mean, it feels now like <clears throat> things are blowing up constantly. Um, I don't know how some of these guys, um, how do they even pastor their church? Like what, what do you, what are you doing all day? And right. there is, you know, new like clipped videos out of context and comparison videos and a new podcast and a new article. And it's always something. Um, and so I think the rate of speed for everything right now is dizzying personally. Um, we're not fighting about inerrancy. I mean, to, today it might be sufficiency and we all believe in sufficiency, but what is sufficiency and how does it work? And mm-hmm. tomorrow it might be confessionalism. The next day it might be women in ministry. And the next day it might be approach to LGBT issues. The next day it might be Black Lives Matter, and the next day it might be standpoint hermeneutics, which is not really a, a thing that people talk about. Uh, but you know, um, and and the thing is, we don't even disagree on these things. Mm. Uh, we're all in that conservative evangelical group now, yeah. or claim to be. But there is a cultural divide, and there is a political divide, and there is a pro approach and tone divide. Um, I mean, if you get online right now, you're going to see two groups and one is saying, you know, you guys aren't winsome, you're jerks, you're hurting our witness. And the other side is going to be saying, well, you only believe in winsomeness when it's, you know, towards the left and you, you know, are actually what you say, you're all hypocrites. And, and it has become personal and it has become political and it is viral and everything is around producing viral content. So I think we feel about the SBC right now the same way we feel about the GOP or the DNC Mm. or the USA, right? Which is this tearing apart of the social fabric within our convention in a way that, you know, I don't know this for sure yet, but in a way that may feel ultimately more harmful than when we actually had truer and deeper doctrinal division. So where... is it, is it coming from, there's a lot of fears, right? There's um, the culture is coming into the church too much, right? Philosophies and ideologies are coming to into the church. And uh, of course, that's always a, a thing, right? The, the the world attacks and infiltrates the church of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. We see this throughout scripture. We've seen it throughout church history. So that's a thing. Um, but usually, uh, you know, I, I hear it in terms of like, oh, well, you know, you're talking about racial reconciliation and therefore that's the church, that's the world coming in, or, you know, right. we don't need trauma informed counselors. That's the world coming in. We just need the Bible and some nonsense like that. Whereas I don't really view it that way. Um, it, it, we have, and there's a whole conversation to have about common grace, but yeah. what I wonder is, um, is the world infiltrating the church or our convention by creating a different kind of cultural angst, whereas before it was doctrinal, it was purely doc. Well, I mean, it was political too, but it was it was denominationally political. It seemed yeah. to me, um, but uh, it was much more theological. Whereas it lo- it really feels to me that uh, that this is a, a a different cultural angst that the world is feeding into. And I'm just I'm just curious if you see that that yes there this this drama and angst that is, is, is 
pretty intense and then I think fueled or amplified by social media is itself a part of the problem. And if, if it is from the world, then what is driving that? Why? Cause like we could pick out certain things, but what's, right. what's underneath it. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> first of all, I, I don't think that there are just two camps in the SBC. Sometimes it's like uh, people who think that the left is infiltrating our ideas. People who think that the right is infiltrating our strategies. Right. Um, that, that's probably not a good way to say it. Let me, let me explain it better than that. There are people who think that worldly ideology is infecting what we believe and practice and then there are people who think <clears throat> worldliness in the way we engage one another and the way we engage with politics in the world around us is is what's you know in, infecting our our convention but i think i think we have to say at the most um, base level that most people are in the middle and most people are taking things on a case by case basis and most people aren't sure and so they might not feel like CRT is running rampant in the convention because there's really no evidence of that. Uh, there's sort of a lot of clips taken out of context. Right. But in a convention with 15 million people, and I know that that's like the biggest lie we're all telling is that we're 15 million people. Right. But <clears throat> um, but in a convention as large as we are, you're going to have some things that you hear that you don't like, and there's going to be some things that we do have to address. But <clears throat> um. I do think there are there are transparency issues in the SBC. I do think that there are some issues with how we have carried out our mission that are legitimate questions. But there there are some real larger level concerns of where these accusations are coming from. It seems like a switch flipped around 2016 or so. Hmm. Um, in how we relate to one another. I, I don't know what happened in 2016. No, nothing happened in 2016. Uh, but I don't think it's the same switch that flipped in the culture. Mm. I mean, if 81%, isn't that the number? 81% of evangelicals voted for Trump. Then it's not as if like we have a 50-50 divide on that in the SBC. I think it was more of a, a divide between to what level do we see ourselves as a, a political group um, versus to what level should politics take a, a, a secondary or tertiary role to what we're doing? So you have a group out there, um, the Conservative Baptist Network, who explicitly says in their own founding press release that the motivating factor behind the founding of their group was the group at the 2018 uh, convention who didn't want Mike Pence to come and give a stump speech. Mm. Uh, Garrett Kell made a speech uh, calling for that um, section of our agenda and our meeting to be um, uh, canceled, basically, and to revoke the invitation to Vice President Pence. And he made a really good speech where he made the point that by inviting politicians to address us and give a stump speech, we could be confusing our witness with our identity as a voting block. We could be <clears throat> um, clearly marred with any of the political accusations that come towards politicians and they affect our witness. And he, he said, look, we're not against the president or the vice president, um, but this is not who we are at our core identity. We're meeting for our mission, not for our politics. Right. And it was about a 55, 45 vote. He failed. 
um, Vice President Pence did come. And when we were told he was coming to thank us for our disaster relief efforts, he gave a 50-minute stump speech uh, before the midterm election. Of course he, he did. did. exactly what we were afraid he was going to do. Um, and so you have this group that forms and who is constantly pointing out, um, you know, in their mind that we are not adequately devoted to right-wing politics. Yeah, we're not and, conservative enough. Yeah, I mean, they call themselves the conservatives. I've voted conservative in every election I've ever voted in, uh, but somehow I'm now on the outs yeah, uh, with same. the conservative group. It's like the, the traditionalist movement. Um, like, uh, uh, we're, we're the traditionalists theologically, and it's like, well, you can't be more traditional. What's that? Yeah. That was, yeah, I was going to say, you can't be more traditional than 1689 since all of the founding churches came, well, the SBC were 1689 churches or Second London Confession. That's traditional. But I know what they meant. But it's like, yeah, you get to choose your own name now. And then it sort of, it, it works in your favor to call yourself the Conservative Baptist Network. Therefore, everybody who's not a part of it clearly isn't for conservatism. Right. Well, it's like, I remember uh, a church I was serving at. I said, I want to teach you church history. And they said, what history is there? Our church only started 40 years ago. And uh, right. so sometimes people, when they think of history, they think it kind of started with them. Um, and, and so this group, though, uh, they start with that motivation. And pretty much what they've done along the way is take any legitimate concerns we've had and politicize them heavily and turn them into this sort of intranecine culture war of a group that is faithful to the sufficiency of scriptures, which should drive you to a certain political cultural understanding versus those who aren't. And therefore they're a threat. Um, and I guess I'm in the threat group, um, but you can even see in how they responded to the SBC, right? We had this moment with Rick Warren that was concerning. And we can, we can talk more about that later. Um, but they, I mean, their response to it, their big press release, um, and then what looks like a coordinated article that comes out later in a, in a political journal or a political magazine is uh, the country can't tell us what a woman is because of the Supreme Court nominee um, with Kentonji Brown Jackson to now um, the, the Supreme Court can't tell us what a woman is. The SBC can't tell us what a pastor is. And it's like, I see what you're doing. You're trying to draw this line here and say, look, the people you're afraid of on Fox News, you should be afraid of them in our convention as well. And it's it's a complete red herring, but it's a pretty clear strategy of politicizing mm -hmm. our debate and politicizing our discussion. I mean, I, I was sitting by a very well-known professor uh, from one of our seminaries at the convention. Uh, who was that? Uh, I probably shouldn't <laughs> say because of what I'm about to say, but I looked over at him, I said, don't you wish we could have the Calvinism debates back? And he said seven days a week and twice on Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, cause at least we were talking about the Bible, not talking about politics and culture yeah. and saying the people who disagree with us don't believe the Bible. So there seems to be a pretty concerted effort from them and a certain number of blogs, ministries like founders ministries and G3 who started as theological ministries, but have now become overwhelmingly consumed and driven by this political cultural force who are appearing now. I mean, you you and I know that their conferences and 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 their platforms used to be at seminaries and college campuses. And now <clears throat> when you see them, they're in the Federalist. Uh, they're, they're at uh, uh, Glenn Beck's platform. They're on Ben Shapiro's platform. They're at CPAC. I mean, they're holding sub-conferences out at political events. And you think, what happened? I mean, what's going on here? And 
there's a lot to be said there. But what seems to be clear is that there is a political coalition that has formed uh, and they are convinced that liberalism is rampant in the SBC and they will take any shred of evidence and put it in front of you and say, look, look at the compromise, look at the unfaithfulness to the Bible. And, and so there's a group, you know, the rest of us, I think, are being castigated as if we're the liberals. And the real concerning thing for people like you and me who are confessional in our theology is that unlike the 1970s and 80s where liberals would sign the abstract of principles, but sign with exceptions. I mean, they would literally say, yeah, I'll sign it, but here's where I disagree. This group is now saying, well, you sign it. You just don't believe it. And so the arbiter of true belief in the SBC has become these groups. Right. It doesn't matter what you confess. It doesn't matter what you teach. It doesn't matter what documents you advocate for or sign off on. It doesn't matter if you say, I believe in the full inerrancy or sufficiency of scripture. If you do not buy into this certain political cultural view, you're outside the bounds. And so the reverse is that I think, you know, on the other side, we're tempted to say, well, then anything they say is wrong. And so we're going to be reactionary and fight against like any sort of feedback. And we could talk more about that. And we've, we've become factions. I mean, we're, we're in factions. And I think that's why it feels so painful right now. So the uh, two, two things I, I'd, I'd like to get your perspective on as well. One is in the midst of the, the debates um, and some of the controversy, even like, let's just say around, you know, Rick Warren and Settleback church, um, having uh, women on staff titled as pastor. Um, can you think of two criticisms that come from maybe that uh, conservative Baptist network crowd, two criticisms or concerns of the convention that you think, oh, actually, that's a legit concern. This is something that we should be dealing with. And then two things that are over- overwhelmingly positive in the SBC, and I'll remind you about these as we go in case, you know, because you, yeah, yeah. I know I'm throwing two things at you, but two things that you think are like, these are really good. These, these should be celebrated. This should be our focus and they're, they're getting yeah. overshadowed by some other issues. So first, what are, what are two concerns um, that, that are legitimate? And we, we both know there are problems in our convention, but what are two sure. of them that, that you hear highlighted by people from the CBN crowd that we do need to be dealing with? Yeah, I think their their criticisms of pragmatism are, are pretty much right on. Um, I know that there are friends of mine who maybe don't, don't agree with me on this, but um, when I heard Rick Warren speak, I thought at first, I thought, you know, God has really used him in some significant ways. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to deny that so many people have come to know Christ right. through Rick's ministry. I mean, Hey, there's a lot of reformed churches that are full of people who started with purpose driven life um, and moved past it, but started there. And I I was actually thinking back to the big, like precious Puritans fallout debate years ago and the whole argument over like drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. And, you know, is Rick any different than the rest of us in that regard? Um, But, but they have said, and I think rightly, that Rick has a sort of expedient pragmatism that is endemic in our convention. And I think that's right. Um, I don't know that Rick would say that. Um, and I want to be fair to Rick. Um, but what Rick is doing 
um, in not just in the issue at hand, but in his church model and his church practices, uh, the sort of open market approach to small groups where anybody's a small group, you know, if you just meet no training required for your leaders, um, even, even the way, like one of the things Rick Warren does in his preaching is he sort of chooses whichever translation says what he wants it to say Yeah, in his books as well. Oh my goodness. Uh, I look, if I, if Rick Warren were sitting in front of me, I would say, Hey, I, I appreciate how God has used you. We've got some deep disagreements. And I think where we disagree, I think some of these things that are pragmatic, I think they're bad for our churches and I think they've seen bad fruit. And I think they've led to some of our easy believism, unbiblical ecclesiology. I think they've contributed to a cultural Christianity that now we're having to reckon with. And I don't think that was his intention. I think at his heart, Rick wanted to reach people for Jesus and was trying to find the best way to do it. His use of the homogenous unit principle in mission to get Saddleback Sam I mean, has led to racially divided yeah. churches, culturally divided churches. Yeah. Um, and and look, I just think he's wrong. And the CBN has put their finger on that. And I think they're right. Um, and so I, I appreciate the criticisms. I don't always appreciate how they're given. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, another thing I would just commend them on is um, – I, I always want to appreciate someone who's insistent that we return and look at the scriptures again. And, uh, and they do, uh, whether it is debates over uh, plagiarism, whether it is debates over um, how we view race. I, I don't always agree with where they land, but there is an insistence that we must look at the word of God that I think is healthy in our convention. I think it's a strand that we should always have people who say, but what does the Bible say? And that's the debate we need to be having. Mm Now, do I always agree with them on what they think the Bible says? No. Um, But if any of them are listening, I want them to know, like, I appreciate that. I don't hear them saying the Bible is inerrant, the Bible is sufficient, return to the Bible, and me say, like, I'm tired of hearing that. No, like the the Bible is our authority. The Bible is the norm of normons. It's the authority that norms all other norms. It, it is the final word. It, it is the source of wisdom and knowledge for Christians. And so I want to say like, yes and amen. So let's now have those discussions. I wish we could agree that we're both inerrantists. I wish we could agree that we're both uh believers in the sufficiency of scripture it it hurts to hear some of them say things like well if you don't agree with my interpretation then you're just a theoretical inerrantist right right? um but i'll put those things to the side you know the apostle paul says whatever is good whatever is praiseworthy whatever is excellent look at those things and and i appreciate that from them even when we disagree coming out of it so yeah yeah, i want to praise them for that yeah, and I find like, and not with with all of them, but you know, like with a lot of what comes out of founders in particular. Um, I mean, goodness, I've I've preached at a founders conference, I've written for the journal, I've and a bunch of our stuff yeah. from D and D has been on their website. Um, and so, like theologically, I have so much in common with founders, uh, and have always respected Tom. You know, I've been in his home, like I I I I, I like him, and uh, so, but. Um, Oftentimes, it, and you and you you you, just, you touched on this. 
it's not that I disagree with what they're saying in a particular instance. It's that the way that they are presenting it isn't going to move anybody. And and, and by the way, it's not about tone. No, I'm so tired of the red herring that somehow like I'm part of the snowflake crowd who's only obsessed with tone. It's not about tone. Your arguments against your opponents are not true. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're they're not true or they're not complete um yeah. and 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 even if they're just presenting facts they do it in a way that's not going to move the needle this is the thing and i, I talk about this a lot i'm a pastor you're a pastor tom's a pastor like our part of our job is to move people right by the by the work of the spirit and the ministry of the word is to see people move from a to z right we want to see them grow sanctified to go from oh i kind of believe in this jesus i mean i do i truly believe but i don't really know much about him they, we want them to know, understand trinitarian theology and you know christology and then we want them to understand the, the doctrines of grace and then you know it's like if i meet a, a calvinist a young calvinist when new calvinism was here it was like oh i want to move you from new calvinism to confessionalism because new Calvinism is like, is, you know, it's, it's good. It's a good start, but it's not enough. So I want to move people and they want to move people. I mean, they're, they're, they're seeing a problem. They see a, an issue. And so we all have the same desire to move people from point A to point Z eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my problem is, is I don't see them moving people. I see them getting amens and slaps on the butt. I see them getting like cheers from people that already agree with them, but I don't see them moving people who are, maybe unconcerned and don't think there's a problem to being fully on board. And, and I think Joe, that's why they do the theoretical inerrancy thing, theoretical sufficiency, because they're trying to convince the watchers. Um, <clears throat> you already agree with us. Right. If you want to be an errant, you need to stand with that. Right. They're trying to remove people's permission to believe the Bible and disagree with them. Yeah, no, totally. And it, but it's just, it's so, it's so, like, I'm trying to, like when when I meet with some of these guys and we talk about like where we agree and where we disagree, sometimes we disagree on their conclusions. Um, we we disagree on their application, and sometimes we disagree on the way they're presenting their material. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree that, that that a problem that you're addressing is a real problem, but I actually want to move somebody. I want to change their mind. The people that I I'm concerned for, I want to change their mind. People who are pragmatists, I want them to understand the danger of pragmatism. I don't just want them to feel like I'm attacking them because what happens if they only feel like I'm attacking them is they just hold on tighter to their idolatry or to their you know the bad theology. So that's a real that's that's a frustrating point for me because when I do agree, it's like I don't want to stand next to you while you're making that argument because it's not it's not ultimately a healthy argument if even the facts are right but sometimes i i don't think the facts are right in the way that they're going well and it. i'll give you another one is that you know tom is tom Askell right about anything more than he is right about regenerate church membership right yeah, he's he has on. been banging that drum and correctly for decades for, yep. golly 20 years I mean, he's exactly right. I had a resolution that I wrote, submitted, and which was adopted by the convention. Somebody came up and amended it with a statement on church discipline. And I thought, you know what? Yeah. I opposed the later amendment. But I didn't say a word about that one because I I thought, yeah, that's absolutely right. And you know who taught me that? Tom Askell. Mm -hmm. He's right about things. But the way he did that, the way he taught me, wasn't to tell me that my church is full of lost people and I'm probably a lost person and we're all idiots. He just taught me the scriptures and uh, man, he was, he was so good. And it was so helpful. 
Um, it, it's when we get into strategies where we're like maligning abuse victims and trying to discredit them. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about our opponents as if they are like rank liberals, when they are stalwarts of conservatism, that's when I just think like we have gone off the rails. Uh, I don't, I don't know where that stuff come from, comes from. Well, how there, about- there's plenty to be commended. So what about two things that are that are really positive about the SBC? Just two. Two things that really excite you. You see God at work and you want people to know. You're like, hey, listen, if especially if they're not in the SBC, here's something I want you to know. But even if they're in the SBC and they're they're losing sight of these things because they're distracted by the drama, what are two things that really excite you about the Southern Baptist Convention? Kevin Ezel um, stood on stage at the Southern Baptist Convention and he told us that by 2030, one in every three churches in the Southern Baptist Convention will have been started in the last 20 years. I'm pretty sure that was the statistic. Wow. Can you can you even name a church planting movement that's even close to that? I mean, there are effective church planting networks out there. There's, there's the ARC network. There's Acts 29. Um, there's... Uh, you know, pillar. There's groups that are Baptist, not Baptist, non-denominational, reform, not reformed. No one is more effective than them. Like nobody. I mean, we are planning churches like gangbusters, and they're they're surviving. Like our strategy is working. Um, and you may not agree with every church that gets planted, right? We're Southern Baptists. There's going to be a wide range, right? But you know, for your audience, if you're reform and conventional and you want to plant a church, plant with them. I mean, like you, you've got a huge infrastructure ready to see you succeed behind you. Um, I mean, what God is doing through our church planning efforts is unbelievable. And yeah, baptisms are down, but I mean, I think this is a safe place to say that. I mean, can we admit that the baptism numbers were fake? Yeah, like, uh, we've been saying all the all the Calvinists have been saying that. Like, yeah, the yeah, baptism I've numbers should come down. Baptized six times in Southern Baptist churches, three times in the same one because he wasn't sure it took. You know what? That's not real. Uh, So if his baptism numbers are coming down, if mass evangelism revival movement practices aren't working anymore, you know, I'm good with that. Let's get real conversions, real baptism, real church membership, real discipleship. But man, our church planning is effective and it's effective in cities, places that we lost and we lost them because we left due to white flight. And we are going back in and we are seeing reconciliation happen. We're seeing success. We're seeing growth. And it's not just in the South. It's all over the nation. We should be like praising God, losing our minds excited about that. Let me let me just affirm what you're saying here to our to those who are listening, because, you know, um, we're a small church, right? Small, mid-sized church, whatever. Um, if, if you're wondering, if you're new here, uh, just over 200 uh, before the pandemic we were over 300 and then uh well things changed we lost some people and for a variety of reasons so like you know uh mid-sized church but on the smaller end of that uh we're openly calvinistic and if you know anything about me you know a lot about redeemer so um like we're out there uh we don't we, we don't pretend to be anything that we're not uh confessional reformed calvinistic whatever fun and Wait, you're a Calvinist? Yeah, I know. Believe that. It's shocking. Um, and NAM loves us. The North American Mission Board has been nothing but super supportive in every way for all of the young men that God has raised up that we've sent out to plant. Uh, there were, you know, they were funding um, our 
our residencies, uh, you know, paying for these guys and giving them insurance money as well. Uh, and then they would come on board to, to support them as they went out. They, I mean, tremendous, like true support. And, our, and, our, and actually, and every state convention is different, but our state convention has always loved us. The local association was just a mess. And we were like, I'm not, I'm not playing with those people, but, Welcome the, to yeah, right? but the state convention was great. And, and they, nothing but supportive. They were like, we will do everything we can to help you. So yeah. I can just affirm that. Yeah. Even, even for those who are like confessionally reformed and, uh, and not like the old school, not too old, but like more fundy fundamentalists, fundamentalistic Southern Baptist, we haven't experienced any pushback, only support. And, and that wasn't true 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, what NAM I think, understands right now is that churches plant churches, and churches are autonomous. The SBC doesn't plant churches, and they're not supposed to be in control of everything. They support churches planting churches. And I, I think that's incredible. We should just be, like, over the moon. I think at this point I could say I am B. It's like the easy answer, like missionaries all over the world. But I'm not, I'm not going to say that. Just, like, Google the IMB and read all the great stuff. Um, <clears throat> I think – I think our seminaries, Joe, like 15 years ago, like seminaries, Midwestern was dead and dying. Oh, yeah. Like um, New Orleans was hemorrhaging money and people. Chuck Kelly, you know, is a, is a good guy, but they were going in the ground. Um, Southwestern Seminary, you know, was led by Paige Patterson, who is the most negative force in the Southern Baptist Convention in the last 15 years. After previously being one of the most positive forces, we thought, um, and and now we're now we're learning a lot more mm-hmm. about that. But I mean, you know, for people like you, Paige, I remember he endorsed a book called "The Cultish Side of Calvinism" and was saying, you know, if you're reformed, you, there's already uh, a denomination for you, Presbyterianism. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a factionalism coming out of that seminary, and they were dying. I mean, they went from like the largest Southern Baptist seminary to one of the smallest. Um, it was sort of Southern and everybody else. Um, when you look around now, our seminaries are six of the 10 largest ATS accredited schools in the world. We have more seminary students coming out of our school. Uh-oh. Uh, we lost you, Griffin. We lost you. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that um, I agree with what Griffin is saying that, uh, you know, the the seminaries that we have are fantastic. They are robust. They are um, they're evangelical and they have different strengths and weaknesses. Sorry about that, Joe. That's okay. Here he comes. I was just affirming what you were saying that um, that our seminaries today and there's always a history and a trajectory. Unfortunately, with most seminaries, once they go liberal, it's over. It's done. Yeah. And, uh, and we've seen like with Southern, you know, really, they, moving, came back. they came back and then that showed what people were hungry for. And, and it, what it's not just like, as I know, like they were labeled as the reformed seminary, but they really are. They're, I mean, they're Calvinistic, but they're not really a reformed Baptist seminary. Um, no. but they're an academic conservative, like, a robustly theological seminary. And that's what students yeah. want. And they were like, we and want robustly that. evangelical. Yes. I mean, I know they faced all sorts of accusations, but I mean, six of the 10 largest ATS accredited schools in the world producing more students than ever before. And here's what I'm saying. Cause I am a young pastor. I mean, I'm not a product of our Southern Baptist seminaries, but I did go to Southern for a while. All my friends are out of there. These pastors are looking to go to a small town, go to a regular church and stay there forever. Yeah. 
Like they're not looking to climb the ladder and get up to the mega church. And and by the way, they're all committed to expositional preaching. Yep. They're all committed to a confessional identity. They're all committed to regenerate church membership. I mean, nine marks influence For on sure. our seminaries to return us to a biblical Baptist ecclesiology is huge. I don't think we'll ever know the full influence of that in our lifetime. And I, I think we should be thrilled. I mean, I think we should see the pastors who are coming out of our seminaries and just like sing at the top of our lungs oh. and celebrate um, at while every other denomination is about to go over a massive demographic cliff and can't even find pastors or the pastors they find are like wearing a rainbow stole and a Che Guevara shirt, you know, yeah. our denomination is producing Bible believing convictional seminary graduates of all stripes everywhere. And even the ones who aren't like you, like whether reformed or not, whether conventional or not, whether um, charismatic or not, pretty much all of them have a good grounding in like Bible teaching, expositional preaching, discipleship. Um, I mean, Baptist identity. I mean, there is some like real core things that I don't know that we've ever had before. Because even 15 years ago, a lot of our people were coming out of like bad Bible colleges or, or had no education and just went to like a dispensational prophecy conference and came back and preached to their church for two years. Yeah. So I, I think we've got a lot to be excited about. Well, I, you know, I was in, um, I went to Moody Bible Institute for my undergrad. Mm-hmm. So it's conservative, you know, dispensational school. Uh, and if you know anything about dispensationalists for all of the problems that they have, they love the Bible. They are a Bible people. And actually the dispensationalists were probably the greatest force in, in America preserving the scripture uh, culturally when everybody else was going liberal. They're like, nah, man, we're about that Bible. So Absolutely. praise God for how we use the dispensationalists. Um, but I took a bunch of preaching classes there and um, sat through those and did those. And then I went to Southern and um, I remember sitting there listening to preacher after preacher at Southern and, uh, and I even stopped to listen to some outside of the classroom because I was, I was, I was blown away that every message and they weren't all great. They weren't all good, but they were yeah. all biblical. They were all coming from the text. They weren't, they weren't trying to be creative, you know, it unduly creative, right? Theologically, um, they were expositing the word every single one. And it wasn't that way when, you know, there was a lot different where I had come from. And I remember thinking, you know, we're praying for revival. And how does God bring revival? He brings it through the ministry of the word. He brings it through the ordinary means of grace. And so if we have people that are actually plainly preaching the word, we we are getting set up for a great revival. I'm really hopeful for that. And, and, And I would say, too, if you're concerned about the Saddleback style pragmatism, none of that is coming out of our seminaries. None of it. I mean, they're, they're not teaching church growth models in our seminaries anymore. And so, you know, for so many of these guys, I want to be like, Hey, look at the very seminaries you're criticizing. They're the ones who are going to fix this. They're the ones who are going to undo this Mm. by giving us pastors committed to the word of God and Baptist ecclesiology and biblical convictions. And like, if we could all just sit down at a table and talk, I think we'd be a lot happier about what's going on uh, than we're acting like. Well, man, Griffin, uh, I appreciate you um, 
and I'm, I've been really grateful that not only have we been able to see each other online, but like we've had a couple of conversations now. Um, I'm grateful for your, your spirit, for your strength. Um, I like that you speak your mind. I, I think we need more of that. People to, you know, be honest and say things that maybe people in their own groups don't, don't always like to hear. I really value that. So I hope people, if they aren't familiar with you, will, will follow you on Twitter. It's just at Griffin Gulledge. By the way, strongest name in the SBC, Griffin. Like that's a strong, that's a man name right there, you know. I don't I, know. Albert's pretty strong. Uh, you know? I don't know. Albert. I could I could give an Albert a wedgie any day of the week. I'm not. A, I, Albert. I will You're school. Get trouble. But now Griffin. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try and give Griffin a wedgie. No way. Uh, Griffin. Uh, Griffin's probably. I feel like a guy with the name Griffin's probably like one of the mutants or like X Men or something. Like something going on. I'm not gonna play. But Thank Al you. Albert. I got Albert all day. No problem. Listen. If you guys want to uh, listen to more of what we have to do, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Doc and Devo, or you can check us out uh, on the website doctrineanddevotion.com. If you like this content and you want more, check out doctrineanddevotion.com/all access for commercial free exclusive content. You can't get anywhere else. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.